Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Welcome to the show. So glad you're with me today. Bill Arnold here. We have a spectacular hour coming up. I have Dr. John Woodward in studio along with my friend uh, Jeff Verdorn, and we're going to have a great conversation coming up in just a minute. Um, so stay tuned. Definitely, if you have ever tried to navigate your way through recovery of any kind, uh, you're going to want to listen up. We're going to talk about identity in Christ and how important it is to know who you are in Christ. So that's the way to break freedom from uh, addiction and break from the power of sin in your life. I saw in the news that Justify, who just won the Triple Crown, is retiring from horse racing. Hello? How do you do that? Apparently he's had some ankle issue, and and the trainer said it wasn't responding fast enough. It's like, I've sprained my ankle before, and I yesterday I, I ran a four-minute mile in 17 minutes. So, I mean, it took a little longer than usual, but you don't give up. You don't quit. So anyway, we're, we're going to have such a good time today. And if you want to call with questions, uh, just get this number ready and handy. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. You can also text a question to that number and we'll get it as a text. So we'll take a short break and um, be back in just a minute. Have you ever wished you could listen to your favorite radio program when you wanted to? That way you'd never miss a program you really wanted to hear, simply because your program came on when you had an appointment, you were at work, or something urgent came up. And for those really busy days, you could listen early in the morning or late at night when things were calmer, and you could take the time to reflect and meditate on what you heard. Well, you can listen to your favorite programs whenever you want. Download the Faith Radio app by searching Faith Radio in the Apple Store or Google Play Store to gain instant access to Faith Radio programs and previous shows. It really is that simple. Search and subscribe to your favorite program and listen anytime. Download the Faith Radio app today and don't miss a thing. Once again, go to iTunes or Google Play on your mobile device and search for Faith Radio to download the free Faith Radio app and start listening today. We were not gone long. It's seven minutes after the hour, and we are going to have a fantastic hour. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Dr. John Woodward is the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International, a ministry which equips disciplers to live victoriously, disciple strategically, and counsel effectively. And also in studio is my friend, uh, Bible uh, scholar and mentor, Jeff Verdorn. Gentlemen, hello. Good to be with you. Thank Hi, you. Bill. Yay, Jeff. Good to see you. Welcome back from Israel. You just took a trip there. I did, and you're you're you had a great time. We we had a wonderful time. It's uh it's always amazing. Uh, we were actually talking at lunch one day in Jerusalem about the ascension of Christ, and I pointed over to the Mount of Olives and I said, "Yeah, and he's going to rise right come back <laughs> right there." And it's like, wait, right there. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah, and you have known John for years. We have. 
Nice. Uh, we actually served together on a board, and, and we've known each other for about five or six years now. So, John, welcome to the show. You live in uh, Pigeon Falls? It's a tourist town, Pigeon Forge, Pigeon Tennessee. Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. The edge of the Great Smoky Mountains. My geography is terrible. Oh, Thank that's you for all correcting right. me. Have you yeah. ever heard of Dollywood? That's where my wife works. Uh, it's a... Uh, is that like Hollywood but with Dolly Parton? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of a combination of gospel music, festival, craft show, roller coaster, all wrapped up into one. Can't get enough of that, huh? Yep. Yeah, awesome. But our counseling center is tucked into that little tourist town. Awesome. All right. Now, you've got a, a seminar coming up this weekend, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. That's going to be at Grace in the City here in the lovely town of Minneapolis, um, and it's uh, navigating the recovery journey. Now, you do a lot of counseling. So let me just start with a question. When you uh, sit down with someone in counseling, what, what is step one or what is principle number one when you sit down with somebody to counsel them? There's a approach that we believe is really effective and that you start by just letting people know that you care, that you're a good listener. In a more formal context, you're wanting to know what is their issue that they're dealing with, what problem are they facing. And so you give them a safe context to share that problem, how severe it is, Sometimes there's a recent turn of events that has made matters worse, which has tipped the scale for them to come in for a more formal counseling process. But you start with what we call the presenting problem. What are they dealing with? And then we hope to find that they are open to a, a Christ-centered discipleship counseling approach. And if they are, we have good news in store for them. Awesome. Now, what does a Christ-centered discipleship counseling, did I say that right? That's a that's a mouthful, isn't it? It, it kind of is. Yeah. What what What, what is the framework of that? What does that look like? Discipleship counseling is is just like any other discipleship process in terms of helping people know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and also grow in Him mm. spiritually, but using the opportunity of a problem-solving situation. So someone's having a marital struggle or an addiction situation, and that becomes a painful motivation to say, I want some answers. I need God to intervene in my life. So it's discipleship with a problem-solving motivation. Mm-hmm. John, let me read this. Um most Christians have been taught that Christ died for their sins. Few have been taught the truth that they died with Christ. Consequently, few believers find victory in their lives. Although they know that they have been set free from the penalty for their sins, they have not yet been taught that they have been set free from the power of sin in their lives. We uh, think that's a really important emphasis to bring out because John 10 verse 10 the Lord Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so if we know Christ is our personal Savior, we've been reconciled to God, that's the good news of the gospel. We don't want to minimize that. We want to rejoice in it and share the gospel. But what often people overlook is that he also came to give us life more abundantly. And that's not a, a problem-free life or one that's uh, just kind of passive, but it is a life that's meaningful that is meant to experience Christ as our source of living, and one that also understands um, the second half of this message, that not only did Christ die for us, but the believer has died with Christ. Love it. Um, so, John, let's talk about it, because Jeff and I have talked about this before, and we talk about when you are a new believer, a new uh, um, person in Christ, you, you have a new nature. You've been regenerated. So the old nature, do we still refer to it? Do we still say, yeah, I've got that old nature, though, that's still knocking at the door? That's a really relevant question, Bill, because we need to know what we're dealing with in order that we might really appropriate, you know, a more dynamic answer. 
Second Corinthians 5.17 is that off-quoted verse. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, we don't get a new body right away. At least I don't notice that very often. Hmm. Um, our soul is in, still in the process of being restored, right? The Lord talks about uh, renewing our mind, healing damaged emotions, empowering our will to be obedient. But our spirit, the aspect of us, which we call our new human spirit, that is new, a new creation. So when the Bible talks about being a new creation, it's talking about our spiritual life. And when Second um, Peter 1 talks about being made, made a partaker of the divine nature, we believe that's talking about our new human spirit, that we are literally born again. And when we appreciate that, we realize that we have a nature that, in the words of Romans chapter 7, we delight in the law of God, in the inner man. So we want to camp on that, that we have a new identity and a new nature. Mm-hmm. John, what do you think of this line? Beneath behavior, there are wounds, and beneath wounds is depravity. And beneath depravity is this beautiful, glorious image of God. Again, we get back to um, appreciating that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So um, Christ in us is the hope of glory, Bill, not only the glory of eternal life after we leave this life, but abundant life right now. But um, if he is the core of our new personhood, we sometimes have layers of depravity, which Mm -hmm. the Bible calls the flesh, you know, the old patterns of how we used to think, feel and choose independently of God. We also can have emotional wounding and some pockets of resistance, which sometimes are called strongholds, false beliefs that we need to identify as lies and replace with truth. So all that we would describe as more uh, psychological or solical issues that the Lord wants to restore our soul, to use the words from Psalm 23, he restores my soul. So I think it's really vital to uh, see that Christ in us is our hope of glory, and that includes the glory of resolving these um, life-controlling problems. Jeff, I can see you're just clamoring to get in on this. I can just see it. There is so much here. I, I, I think about, John, God says that we have been crucified with Christ, and then he comes along and says, so count yourself dead with Christ. Count yourself dead to sin. How do we, if we know it, we know this truth, how do we count ourselves or reckon ourselves dead to sin? Great insight there. We need to uh, compare it to cashing a check. Someone may give you a check, you know, for a thousand dollars. Wouldn't that be grand, Bill? Please bring it on. Um, but if we don't endorse it and cash it, then we're not getting the value of it. So the first thing we need to do is know that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We need to know, as you said, Jeff, Romans 6, 6, know this, the old man has been. The Greek tense is that it happened in the past and the results continue to today. Know that that really happened to you if you're a born-again Christian. The old you has been crucified with Christ. The new you has been raised with him. So then reckoning is to count that to be true personally. And that's one of our goals in discipleship counseling, is help people to discover that truth and to claim it as personally relevant. Mm. So I think of Ephesians 4, it says, so put off your old self and put on your new self. Is that kind of the the part of the reckoning, part of the understanding of of our new identity? It's recognizing who we used to be in Adam, saying no to that identity, and welcoming that new identity God has given us in Christ. Right on. Good stuff. We're going to just uh, continue this in just a minute. We're going to take a very short break. If you have a question or a comment for the show, please give us a call, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. That's also a text number, so you can text us a question, and we will... Uh, 
asked that question on the air, so if you don't want to come on, that's okay, too. We'll be back in just a minute. It is 17 minutes after the hour. Welcome back. Dr. John Woodward is in studio. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International, a ministry which equips disciples to live victoriously, disciple strategically, and counsel effectively. Also in studio, my friend and mentor and Bible scholar, Jeff Verdorn. And uh, I want to start off uh, this next round of grilling questions with one from uh, producer Rebecca Maxwell. Is that what we do? Grilling That's what questions? we do. We're, we're, gri- we're grilling. <laughs> Well, I hopefully this doesn't sound overly grilling because I just met you, John. But uh, what you were talking about at the beginning about understanding our identity in Christ and that our old nature has been put to death, past tense. What comes to my mind is the confusion maybe um, surrounding Romans chapter 7. Like Paul expresses that which I don't want to do, I, I do. It's still in me coming from somewhere. And the things I know I should want to do, I don't. And that's a paraphrase. <laughs> but the it, it feels like we're kind of trapped in that sin cycle that Paul expresses there. And so how do we, I, I guess, realize the newness of who we are when it still feels like we have to actively put to death the deeds of death or the deeds of the flesh? Mm-hmm. Are we trapped? There's a uh, booklet that has been a blessing to us called The Gospel for the Believer by a British Bible teacher, and it's an exposition of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. So, Rebecca, you're right on target talking about the nitty-gritty of Romans 7. What a amazing and challenging passage. But Robert Jones would say that Romans 5 is about being declared righteous by grace through faith. Boy, that is an important anchor, isn't it? Love it. Um, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 is the, the message we've been talking about um, before the break, that the old person, the old man, died um, with Christ and uh, the new man is or woman is raised with them. But let's define that. When it says the old man was crucified, it means who you were in Adam spiritually. Who you were in Adam spiritually, past tense, was crucified with Christ when you were saved because you're no longer that person any longer. God identifies you by your human spiritual condition. So the old you was canceled to Calvary, you might say, buried with Christ. And the new you is raised with him, Ephesians chapter 2, and even ascended with Christ in heavenly places, which is way up there. So God invites us to reckon that to be personally true, Romans 6, uh, 10 and 11. So now what about Romans 7? If we try to live this victorious life in our own strength under a set of rules, we call that legalism, we're going to end up right where Paul describes it, where what I want to do, I end up not doing. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But aren't you glad that Paul ends with the question, who shall deliver me? It's about a person, and Jesus is that person. So Romans chapter 8 is how the Holy Spirit, living through the believer, can help us walk in victory. It's not a one-time deal. It's a daily abiding life. It's actually moment-by-moment abiding life. But as we yield to him and trust him to live his life innocent through us, that's how we get that victory one step at a time. 
Rebecca, that's probably the answer I would have given as well. <laughs> you know, I, I would have expected that from I, you, Bill. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I'm glad John gave it. Me he's too. The, he's the guest in the show. That's exactly. nice of you. Yeah. No, I look at I look at five Galatians five seventeen. And it says, "For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh." There's your battle. There's the, your old flesh, your old self, your old that old nature, as some call it. It desires what is contrary to this new spirit that is within you. There's your battle. All right, we've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All right, so if we're dead, dead to ourselves, dead to sin, why is the struggle still so bad? We still have the old clothes of the old man in the closet. Okay. So the flesh is the old patterns, Bill, of how we have learned to think and feel and choose independently of God. And those patterns are still in our brain. It's kind of like the hard drive of a computer. And so we can opt, and too often we do opt, to live out of those, I'll call them flesh files, kind of like computer files. I can live out of my old identity. I can live out of those rejection memories that I have. I can live out of how I've learned to cope, you know, the way the world you know recommends coping. However, if we deny the, the flesh and trust Christ to be in control of our lives and empower us, and that's how the abiding life uh, flows. The Lord says, I am the true vine, right, John 15, you are the branch. And as we abide in him, he will express his life in us and through us. So it's about denying those old patterns and yielding to him and trusting him to be our source of life. As Jeff was saying from Galatians 5, if we walk in the spirit, right, that's the positive Mm -hmm. emphasis, then we shall not fulfill the lust of those old patterns. That's a brilliant answer. I'm taking notes. So, Jeff, you ask another question because I'm busy taking notes. I, I love the concept of the computer hard drive because if you know computers, when you delete one of those old files, you know it's not gone. It's still there. You just have to open up the recycle bin and pull it back out again. Mm-hmm. And even when you empty your recycle bin, there are tools that can go and get that file yet still. Even if you write over it, those files are still accessible. Or fragments. And, and fragments of yep. it. Satan has one of the best undelete programs around, <laughs> and he keeps bringing these old files. And so how do we get rid of it? We we have to, on a computer, we have to write over it and write over it and write over it. And I think that's exactly what God says, to memorize his word, to meditate on it. You know, how does a man keep his way pure, right? I, I You know, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But one of my frustrations, John, is that we don't get there, but I realize Paul never got there either, right? He says, not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on. How, how do we, it can be frustrating that we have a desire to carry out what we're too weak in the flesh to do. It's not just an experience to achieve, no matter how many wonderful experiences we have, it's a relationship to n- develop and maintain and, and celebrate. And so Paul would say, yes, there's more to, to learn. There's more to experience, but Philippians 3 uh, where he starts out by reminding us of his journey, you know, to salvation. He realized that although we had all that self-righteousness to fall back on um, through the road to Damascus and the revelation of God's word, he said, I've had to declare bankruptcy on all my self-righteousness. I had to consider that garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then he goes on to talk about that I may know him. And so there's that relationship, that intimacy they may know him, the power of his resurrection, that's the dynamic life we're talking about, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. So God uses the trials of life, the uh, uh, suffering, the rejection, the failures, the, the stresses we go through as a reminder that we were never intended to live this abundant life in our own resources, even as a Christian. 
even with some help me prayers, you might say, but really to be a vessel of God's life, to be a branch that can allow the true living vine to express his life in us and through us. Jeff, we've talked about uh, the passage abiding in Christ. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Mm -hmm. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. So uh, we've talked about this before about um, we're just sort of fruit hangers Mm -hmm. and God hangs the fruit on us. I think there's a lot of type A people that say, I'm going to go out and produce fruit today. It doesn't work that way, does it? I think as you look at Paul's biography, which is such a fascinating one, he gets saved in Acts chapter 9, and then amazingly, you know, he's born again, he's baptized, the the blinders come off his eyes literally, and he goes about Damascus, you know, zealously proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah, and hallelujah, he is. But he's almost, you know, um, killed right off off the bat because of the opposition. He's um, let down out of of, uh, Damascus in a basket. Um, For the next three years, he's in Arabia, probably rereading his Bible with grace glasses on Mm -hmm. and learning how he's not only saved by grace, but he needs to live the Christian life by grace. And I think that's where Romans 7 fits in, where Paul is learning as a Pharisee to say, wait a minute, I can't even live this new life as a forgiven believer in Yeshua HaMashiach. How's that for Israeli? Very wow. Good. Yeah. Uh, I can't even live this life in my own Alert strength. It has to be Christ living in and through me. So that's really, I think, Romans 7 is a, a glimpse of Paul coming to that realization that even uh, his life as a believer needs to be by grace through faith. Uh, Dr. John Woodward is my guest, also in studio, Jeff Verdorn. Uh, so we're having a lively conversation. If you would want to be part of this, uh, you can call 877-933-2484, and that's a phone call or a text message if you want to do that. Um, caller uh, just recent, uh, just now came in and said, uh, self-righteousness is all about me. Obedience is wisdom, and obedience is, the Holy, is of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I understand that. I, I, I think I do. It, it's, you know, John the Baptist, when he... When he met Jesus for the first time, says, I must decrease, mm-hmm. he must increase. Jesus walking by faith in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was just there in Israel, you know, his his prayer to the Father was, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, I, w- I was going to ask John, so how, when when Paul says in, in, in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die daily. How do you, I mean, how do you really do that? And I think that's what the caller was getting at. I think um, it's helpful to remember Luke nine twenty three, where the Lord says, um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we are remembering that we do have those old patterns, which we call the flesh. The Bible calls the flesh how I used to see myself, my identity, how to cope, how to uh, deal with life in my own strength. And I need to remind myself daily that that's not my source of living. I need to trust Christ to be my source of love and acceptance and significance and security, uh, security in Christ. And so that's the daily process. Paul was willing to face martyrdom, which is, I think, what Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about. And we need to have that um, resolute de- uh, dedication to him. All right. If you want to get involved, if you have a question for Dr. John Woodward or Jeff Verdorn or myself, 877-933-2484. You can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We've got a lot more coming up in about uh, two minutes. We'll be back with Dr. John Woodward and Jeff Verdorn. Just a minute.
Do you have neighbors? Can you bake cookies? Do either of those things have anything to do with evangelism? Well, Jay Dennis and his wife Angie think that it does. My wife is such a relationship builder. And now for over eight years, she has been sharing the gospel with our next door neighbor. And now she's to the point where she will listen to my wife because she has gained credibility through lots of cookies and cakes and reaching out to her children. Jay and Angie love that God has surrounded them with neighbors who do not yet know Christ. We love that God has put us in that position. We share our faith because Jesus Christ changed our lives. Taking some cookies next door could be the starting point of an eternal friendship. For more ideas, go to makingyourlifecount.com. I'm Steve Douglas. Welcome back to the show. Bill Arnold here. I'm just uh, calculating. I've just finished calculating the mid-show uh, grades for my guests. Let me see. Oh. Carry, the, carry the one. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Dr. John Woodward is an A, and Jeff Redorn is an A. So congratulations. Cool. Thank you, sir. Yeah, things really went well so far. So go, I, I'm having a great time. We'll grade you at the end of the show. Okay? <laughs> Please don't. Okay. No. All right. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what you have coming up, uh, John, this weekend. Uh, you're going to be doing a, a seminar Navigating the Recovery Journey at Grace in the City Church here in Minneapolis. Um, let's talk about how what we've just talked about in the last half hour and how it applies to recovery. Let's just start with some basic fundamentals like what is addiction? Great place to start because typically we just focus on the behavioral aspect of it. Of course, there's the, the chemical aspect of drug and, and alcohol addiction, but there's also a variety of um, behavioral addictions, right? Life-controlling problems, whether it's gambling or pornography, whatever it is. Um, but we want to go beyond just the the outward aspect of uh, addiction and say that there's also um, a spiritual diagnosis that we need. Um, it's, uh, essentially, it's really idolatry. It's depending on some activity or substance to meet things, to meet needs that only God can meet. Uh, you might say it's trying to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Mm-hmm. And so we want to take uh, the discipleship counseling truths we've been talking about and show how relevant that is, that the Lord really did come to heal the brokenhearted. He did come to set at liberty those who are captive and give sight to blind eyes. And he did that literally uh, in his earthly ministry, and he continues to do it today as his people share uh, the rest of the gospel with those who are hurting. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the the, psycholog- the psychological component to addiction. I mean, I know we all have this pleasure center in our brain, but for most of us, or for many, especially ones in addiction, it's gotten so corrupted. Right. Often it's an escape mechanism, mm-hmm. right? We, we're we looking for a way to escape our, our inferiority, our inadequacy, you know, our uh, insecurity in life. And we're looking for some way to uh, get some pain relief or to escape. And so the mind can look for that way out through uh, distorted thinking, through deception, through um, getting high or, or getting, you know, on alcohol. Uh, emotionally, um, often is driven by those feelings of, of depression and anxiety or, or sometimes anger. And it can, it can become a, uh, volitional pattern, a, a bad habit, so to speak. Someone said that, uh, uh, a bad habit is like a grave with the ends kicked out. You know, it becomes a, um, a death march as we more and more miss out on, on the life that God wants us to experience. Mm-hmm. 
I've heard addiction described as an uh, an ever increasing desire for an ever decreasing gain. How do you how do you break that cycle then? I think we need answers beyond uh, just the physical ones and beyond the psychological ones. And if we recognize the essential nature of addiction as idolatry, you know, looking to that substance or behavior uh, to meet ultimate needs that only God can meet, then we've got good news for someone that the Lord still wants to set at liberty those who are captive today. So that leads us to the question, what causes bondage? And essentially we can say it's a lie because if truth sets us free, what would deception do? It would rob us of freedom. So we want to walk with that person uh, needing recovery to show them what lies he or she is believing, help them to identify them, just like the Israelites marching around Jericho. And as they renounce that lie and replace that lie with truth, then there's freedom that flows from that. John, do you think a series of bad habits that just keep getting worse and worse can become what we call addiction slash disease? Certainly the the brain can develop certain um, patterns and, and dependencies, but that's more of a symptom. It's not the root problem. Like mm-hmm. if someone has a fever, we could say, yeah, they have a high temperature, but we would say the infection, for example, would be driving that temperature up. So over the years, as we've seen people set free from, from alcohol or cocaine or other addictive behaviors, as Christ becomes their source of life, then uh, the freedom flows from that and um, they often can set aside those old ways of coping because now they're finding fulfillment in Christ. They can turn away from those substances or uh, that wrong behavior because now they found uh, what they were looking for, you know, through the one who said, speaking of the Lord Jesus, of course, that I am, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. So as they find fulfillment, then the need for that crush, the need for that artificial way of coping uh, can fall to the wayside. Second Corinthians 5.15 says those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. Is, it's, is self our biggest problem? I remember someone that sat down and said, my problem is myself. <laughs> and that was an accurate diagnosis. But we need to define what we mean by self, because sometimes uh, it's used in a positive sense. Love our neighbor as ourself, our personhood. We are valued. We are made in God's image, even though that image is marred. Um, we have a new self, the Bible says. The new spiritual you, the Bible says, uh, is created in righteousness and holiness, Ephesians chapter 4. But if by self we're talking about the old self, who you were in Adam, that person got crucified with Christ. And so as Oswald Chambers says in January 17th of My Utmost for His Highest, he says, we need to have a white funeral. We need to have a funeral for who we used to be in Adam. <laughs> and that may sound strange, talking about having our own funeral, but it's talking about saying goodbye to the old life. And what Oswald Chambers meant by that was that as we reckon our union with Christ to be personally true, then there's a whole new level of sanctification that can flow from that. And so um, praise God that uh, we do have that um, new self, you know, created in Christ. If you mean by uh, the self-life, you know, the old patterns, the Bible calls it the flesh. Yeah, the flesh needs to be bypassed, kind of like then we talk about a bypass operation. Well, the most important sanctification bypass is to bypass the flesh. You know, let the Holy Spirit renew your mind, heal your damaged emotions, empower your will. So the addiction recovery journey is using the opportunity of someone who realizes they need a supernatural solution and show them that that supernatural solution is Jesus Christ. I love it. Let's talk about, John, how to live out your your identification with Christ. 
Many have found it helpful, Bill, to talk about how the people of Israel went from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, right, in the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, they got sidetracked in the wilderness for 40 years. Finally, in the book of Joshua, we read that um, God commissions Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And as the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, as they stepped into the Jordan River, God stopped the Jordan River Upstream, So they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground in a way that's remarkably similar to how God parted the Red Sea. So devotional writers over um, this, the uh, decades, at least, if not centuries, have said, John 3.16 is kind of like crossing the Red Sea. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But I think most believers end up sidetracked in the wilderness, the wilderness symbolizing trying to live the Christian life in my own strength out of my old identity. You know, if I, if I think I'm just a sinner, saved by grace, trying to do the best I can, even if I go to church two or three times a week, I end up stuck, as Rebecca was saying in Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, I don't do, etc. But crossing the Jordan River is like Romans 6, where I realize that the old person has been crucified with Christ, the new person Ephesians 2 has been raised and ascended with him. And Romans 6, 10, 11, I count that to be true personally and yield my body to be a vessel of his life. And so um, as the children of Israel crossed the Jordan into Canaan, that becomes a symbol of the abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. That's crossing the Red Sea, so to speak. And that you might have it more abundantly. That's like crossing the Jordan River. So the question rises then what does uh, the land of Canaan represent? And we believe that would represent the abundant life. Certainly not saying that we've arrived, as Paul said, Jeff, you mentioned that he continues to press on, so do we all. But it does represent that life hid with Christ in God that Colossians talks about, realizing that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And just as in the promised land there were Jerichos and giants to deal with, so even with the, this new awareness of our identity in Christ, often there are strongholds, and we'll talk about that at the recovery seminar, that we do need to recognize those strongholds. They may be unforgiveness, it may be legalism, maybe may be a wrong concept of God, which is a biggie, that we need to replace those strongholds uh, with the truth of God's word, which leads us into freedom. So ongoing Christian growth is kind of like occupying the land, which is what the second half of the book of Joshua is about. So here in our notebook, we have the kind of a symbolic map of Egypt, wilderness, Canaan. And as we counsel people at Grace Fellowship, we'll often draw that on the whiteboard, and people really find that's a helpful illustration. You know, just to finish that illustration, I think about even when they got into the land, there were still battles. And uh, and God says, don't worry, the battle is not yours, but it's mine. Amen. One of the things, John, you just said was some of the obstacles is people have a wrong concept of God. I would think that would be almost at the top of the list. I agree with you because uh, our parents have done the best they could, you know, to bring us up. But often their struggles, their failures end up causing some forms of rejection. Sometimes it's really blatant. Um, a friend of mine was told by his parents, we wish you'd never been born. So that's an obvious, explicit, you know, rejection. But sometimes a parent has died um, early, you know, so the person um, hasn't had their father or mother in their life. Maybe there's been divorce. So what we're trying to get at is if a person has an, at least an emotional impression of God, which is filtered through their their upbringing, their parental experience, then that needs to be replaced with truth. First John 3, 1 to 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. So we love to, to bring out um, these truths. You may have come across a script called Father's Love Letter, 
And Father's Love Letter is a 50-scripture tapestry of God's love for us. And we often start counselees with that concept of Father's Love Letter to help them really welcome God's love. And as they realize that God loves them, and that motivates them to move forward in this process of yielding to God's control and trusting him to work out his good purpose in their life. When you were talking about uh, a white funeral earlier, about we got to really put our old life to death for once and for all and hold a funeral, do you find when you're counseling people that there's a reluctance for people to turn it all over to God? You know, I think of that illustration Lewis has, C.S. Lewis, about the kid playing in the mud puddle. And he says, I'll take you to a vacation at the sea. And he says, well, what about the mud puddle? I like the mud puddle. Because we're used to it, right, Bill? So even though... The shoe may be old and smelly, you know, uh, it fits and it's comfortable. So that's why the counseling context is such a great opportunity to apply uh, discipleship in this more uh, Christ-centered, grace-oriented way because people are realizing that their self-life, their way of coping is not working. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great opportunity to say it never was intended to work apart from yielding to God and discovering who you are in Christ. And so uh, we think this is really an important opportunity to help them discover new dimensions of God's grace. Do we struggle in our country because we're so self-reliant and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and in our country? Exactly. And so when we talk about the white funeral, we're saying we recognize that we've been living out of an identity that's really a false identity. It's based on um, how I've learned to perceive myself based on performance or based on the rejection I've experienced and to Recognize that that person is no longer me, that I am identified with Christ. I'm, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, the one who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So that new you is who you really are. And so the white funeral is saying goodbye to the old identity and to welcome that new identity, celebrating your co-resurrection and co-ascension. And as we believe that, Bill, then that's really the secret for people having the power to break the chains of addiction that are holding them back. Yeah. Can you... Expand on that, because we've been talking about I've been crucified with Christ, but you also just said resurrected with Christ. All right, Jeff, you're going to have to re-ask that question, because we got to take a little break. But okay. when we come back, Jeff will re-ask the question. My guest, Dr. John Woodward and Jeff Verdorn in studio. We're having a great time. If you want to jump in as well, 877-933-2484, which is a phone call or a text. We'll be right back. We're back. It's 13 minutes until the top of the hour. If you are interested in finding out more about this Saturday conference here in the Twin Cities area at Grace in the City, you can go to graceinthecity.org. And you can also uh, check out crosstolife.org. That is the sponsoring ministry for the event on Saturday. Right. You can find out all kinds of information at crosstolife.org. And graceinthecity.org. All right, Jeff, right before we went to break, you had a question. I made you stop, and now you can proceed. John, you you talked about that we have been crucified with Christ, and then you, you said that we've also been resurrected with Christ. Colossians says you have been raised with Christ. What what does that mean? How exciting. Um, since Christ has conquered death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if he is our life, then we have a new spiritually resurrected life. So Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says um, that we have been raised with Christ and even seated with him in heavenly places. 
So uh, if you think of the awesome account in, in John chapter 11 where the Lord raises Lazarus from the dead, right? Lazarus, come forth. And out comes Lazarus, right? Uh, but he's wrapped up, you know, in his grave clothes. So what does the Lord say next about Lazarus? Take him off. Yep. Loose, loose those grave clothes and, and let him go. So discipleship counseling is about helping people realize that they are raised with Christ, but take off the grave clothes and walk in newness of life. Love it. There's also that, uh, that in, um, I think it's Mark where blind Bartimaeus encounters Jesus and he's been blind from birth and he wears the blind beggar's coat. And when Jesus said, come to me, he gets up, takes off his blind beggar's coat and goes to Jesus as if he's never going to need it again. Mm. There's faith. Cool. I mean, why did he take off his blind beggar's coat? Jesus said to come and he got, and he got up, took his coat off and approached Jesus. He was healed. I, he wasn't going to need that blind. It's just beggar's. like the, some of the lame ones. You know, it says they got up and they walked or leaped even in some cases. It's not like they had struggled for, you know, the first two steps and let everything loosen up. They mm-hmm. walked. They uh, saw. Yeah. And then I think the first thing Jesus said is, what would you like me to do? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see. So I think, you know, we can be very, very uh, straightforward with God. And if you, I think if, if you're wearing an addiction code of some kind, and it could be anything. Sometimes it's important to get up, take that coat off, and go to Jesus. And to know that we're not alone. We have the Lord Jesus himself who wants to be our liberator, but also we have the body of Christ, you know, friends in the faith that can come alongside us in a small group, uh, recovery coach. We have a track called Recovery Coach Training where we're equipping people to use this discipleship counseling model to to be that friend, to be that mentor, because often uh, recovery from addiction is a process, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. All right, if I can step into this arena, three guys in a studio, let's talk about feelings. <laughs> Nothing more than feelings. All right? We don't want to talk feelings. But what, what is, how do we speak truth into feelings? Because maybe the old self is saying, I'm, I'm unloved, or I'm not acceptable, or I'm not worthy, or I'm inadequate, or I'm a failure. You know, we're so prone to live out of our emotions, aren't we, Bill? So just as uh, the Bible says we are to walk by faith, not by sight, we can say we need to walk by faith, not by feelings. We're not saying that feelings aren't significant. They are. But usually they're, they're really a signal to our belief system. So if I'm depressed, well, what am I believing? Am I basing my value on what other people say? Uh, I'm feeling insignificant. Why? Is it because I'm basing my significance on my performance? So when we realize that our significance is based on who we are in Christ and our security is based on being accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6, then our emotions will gradually come into alignment. So we, we believe it's important to, to not let our feelings dictate, you know, our spirituality. Love it. Jeff? Yeah. Do, does, does our then knowledge of God's word and the, and the, uh, the exhortations that he gives us about our, our new self, does that trump our feelings? As we, allow the Lord to heal um, our mind through truth, then often we see that the the emotions come into alignment as well, where uh, instead of feeling that fear, we can that's replaced by his peace. Instead of feeling um, depression, we have joy. So the, the emotions are valuable, but they're usually the symptoms. And so as God does that spiritual renewal, then we can expect that the emotional healing will be a, a, a process. Sometimes that process is punctuated by the Lord doing healing work, you know, through an answer to prayer or through other means, but usually it's more a gradual process. 
I've seen uh, this train where it has truth as the engine and feelings as the caboose. Is that a valid I think picture? it's helpful because um, uh, the truth represents, you know, the locomotive. And that's and the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. And then the, the next car, I guess we could say the coal car, if it's an old fashioned train, um, would be the faith in those facts. Right. And then the passenger car would be like the functioning where we're going to walk by faith. And then the caboose is like the emotions that gradually fall around. We have a call on uh, from Regis from St. Paul. What a cool name. Hello, Regis. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, sir. Uh, I really do appreciate uh, that you guys you gave an opportunity to ask some questions. And uh, I will be quick. Um, a couple of days ago, I was following Greg Gory about talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he says something like, uh, they, there's a sin that uh, it's not forgivable, which is the blasphemy for Holy Spirit. And, uh, and um, so my question comes like, uh, so what happened to someone who was, was, uh, was uh, like a non-believer, or, and then he commits this kind of sin? And at the time that he transformed himself, and he, uh, he received the, uh, the forgiveness for, so, uh, from Jesus. Yeah, uh, he became a believer. So does it mean that he, that sin, that the very sin, won't be forgiven, or they, what happened to that? Great question, Regis. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that unfor- that's unforgivable. I think you're referring to Matthew chapter 12, um, when the Jewish people realized that Jesus was casting out demons, so they knew it was a miracle. But also they had to rationalize their unbelief. So they, they, uh, their excuse was that Christ was doing that miracle by satanic power. So Jesus called that, uh, the unpardonable sin because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us to life. So if we, um, deny him, then we're denying our means of coming to know the truth, which is our source of salvation. We believe that when someone is born again, that our, our sins are totally pardoned past, present, and future. So this unpardonable sin is not a particular sin that a Christian needs to worry about committing um, because Colossians chapter 2 says he has um, accomplished uh, our total pardon by taking our sins and nailing nailing them to the cross. And when Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And the Greek word means it's totally pardoned, it's accomplished, and the results continue. So Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that encouraging, brother? Mm. So Romans, uh, Matthew 12, you can look at that in context and hope that'll be reassuring. Thank you so much, Regis, for the call. Another uh, uh, listener, Jan, she uh, wrote in and said uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 are great verses for today's conversation. They are indeed. And it's the mercies of God that motivate us, right? The mercies of our total pardon, being a new creation in Christ. And that motivates us to this wholehearted surrender, which is part of our recovery coach outline here. Uh, as we say, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice, not to add to my salvation, but to express my spiritual uh, act of worship because of what you've done for me. And then it says to to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So I think that's why the uh, the person who wrote in said, yeah, this is really relevant because renewing our mind includes the fact that we can be set free from addictions because of the truth. John, you are doing what God has gifted you to do. You're this is you're amazing. Thanks really? for that affirmation, brother. No, We're all really members of the family. We can I get that. I get be that. Involved. Um, Jeff, we've only got about a minute and a half left. Do you have a closing thought with your, your friend and colleague? You know, uh, an, another friend often says the problem with being a living sacrifice is we tend to crawl off the altar, don't we, John? That's right. How do we stay on that altar? The uh, 
verse 2 talks about is our spiritual act of worship. And it does help to remember that God's will for us, Romans 12, 2, is good and acceptable and perfect. Back to what Bill said earlier about our concept of God. When we know that God is for us, not against us, that he's a God of love, then it's easier to stay on that not I but Christ altar when we realize that he has our best interest at heart. His His will for us is a life that is an abundant life. So let's just go back uh, your seminar this weekend. It's graceinthecity.org. It's on navigating the recovery journey. And also you can go to another website, which is crosstolife.org. Those are two places you can find out more about uh, the seminar on Saturday and then more about um, Dr. John Woodward and his ministry. Uh, discipleship counseling training and resources grace fellowship international that's been a fascinating hour jeff thanks for coming over you and bet. welcome back from israel thank you and i'll much. have you back on the show soon just you and me you know doing, doing what we do which is great and rebecca great question everyone had great thank questions you. today it was just a great hour uh thank you so much john for coming in and uh having to be with you lovely stay here in the greater twin cities we'll, area we'll give you an a as well oh, for this nice. hour wonderful nice. job though Did you get that rebecca is that recorded for all posterity. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Thank you so much. We're going to take a little break, and then hour two is just around the corner. David Wheaton is going to be with me at about uh, six minutes after the hour. And then Dr. Everett Piper, you're not going to want to miss hour two. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.